Welcome everyone into the Hyper Time, the Hyper Time to Podcast. And we are here for a special episode since it's the season of giving. We are going to give you a bonus episode. And by we, I mean myself, Josh Miller, and my co-host, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you? I'm well. I'm Jewish, but I am well. Yeah, I was when I was thinking about uh, doing the intro here, I was pretending to be Santa and everything. And at some point I was like... I don't know how well that'll go over <laughs> with no, you. I, believe it or not, I love Christmas more than Hanukkah. That's why I thought. I'm pretty sure I've seen you talk about celebrating Christmas before, so. But I didn't want to be wrong. I mean, <laughs> I was going to be wrong. The, me, me saying, put writing, or put, like saying that in the uh, Game Awards run table, that I was just that little title of Hanukkah Harry's chauffeur. That was just a throwaway. <laughs> So yeah, for today's episode, I kind of want to just do a little fun episode where we talk about different holiday-themed books that we've liked. Not even books themselves, as much as just stories we enjoy. Um, so I know I have one book that has multiple stories in it, but there's one in particular I want to talk about. And then you're covering, I think, just one entire uh, uh, holiday book. One, yeah, one book that is very big and full of hope because it was made during a better time for DC. <laughs> Those were the days. And yeah, I think, because when we originally were planning on doing this, I didn't really care if it was going to be Marvel or Image or anything else. But as we were starting to talk about all the holiday books we were going to look at, I noticed that pretty much all of them were DC except for one. <laughs> and so I figured, let's just make this a DC-centered holiday episode. So everything that we're going to talk about today is DC-related, except for the one book you wanted to talk about which we can bring up at the end before we close out the episode. So, Yeah, it's more of a recommendation because of how the writer turned tape talk. He took the whole Christmas thing and did a... He did, was it a turn or a term? Put, flipped on his head? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard of it before before you mentioned it, I think, in uh, the Messenger chat. And so I was like, what is this book he's talking about? And so I looked it up and I saw the author. I'm like, oh, I'm going to check that out at some point. Yeah, it's really good that the artist is um, gonna be, I think, on one of one of the one of the DC books. I think it's I think it's uh, Detective Comics. Oh, cool! Uh, following future, or no, I was gonna say future. Then. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I'll have to go back and read that. I think I have it pulled up on my phone to read a little later, so I'll have to do just that. And so as we kind of get into everything here, um, Alan, do you want to go first? Would you like me to go first? How would you? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. So all my story, all of the stories I'm going to talk about are from the DC Rebirth holiday special, which is why I said that it was a hopeful, more hopeful time for DC comics. <laughs> Back during the rebirth? Yeah. The first, first story I'm going to talk about is The Last Minute by Tim Seeley, penciled and inked by Ian Churchill. And the last minute, if you not, if you can probably tell, is Clark trying to 
he's trying to find a certain uh a, like a toy to buy john called the mo monkey monster <laughs> i think he's trying to do this last minute yeah and every every place he's going to is either sold they are they're either sold out or uh there's actually a great panel where he's like he's in the foreground and someone's like up front the way the panel looks is like he's overhearing someone say something like oh man i can't believe i got this i feel i feel like I, th this must be what superman feels like or what it feels like to be superman i'm a hero <laughs> and superman is or clark is right there and every time he, he goes to get a toy or find to try to find the toy some some crisis happens <laughs> just as luck yeah but he finally catches the break he's gonna get it but then someone's he he's just see a an arm grab it grab the the, the toy and who is it damien <laughs> as in damien wayne i take it yeah nice and the next night on the smith farm because this is when they were still this is before the Superman reborn storyline uh they have clark lois and john have bruce and damien over and they get to the point where they're gonna open presents and just as uh, clark is about to say uh hey john i'm sorry i you just see john like overcome with glee because it's the monkey monster <laughs> so basically damien got it for john good old damien and and the monkey monster is not like a it's not like a toy it's a, it's a toy of it. it's basically a game game console and he thanks bruce for his gift to john and bruce is basically like we're talking about and clark says he basically damien and john how like how close they are like thanks for giving my son a friend hmm. or like a best friend and then he asks he asks bruce you want to play the game <laughs> and i forgot tim seeley like what how he phrased it but like he's he's like strategic something as someone who hated, like who mostly hates Damian Wayne, I actually like that. Yeah, I feel like oftentimes Dame's kind of written as a little punk, but there's been, especially Tomasi, he's done a great job kind of showcasing Damian as having probably a, he not only has a very good heart, but he thinks things through very well in terms of how to give people the best things that he can. Like, I know there's a story in one of the Batman books where I think he did, like, a scavenger hunt for Bruce to go back through, like, all the things his mother had done before she had passed. And so she he gave him a painting that he didn't know his mother had painted. He found, like, the... I don't remember if this was the same story or a different one, but he found, like, a pearl or two that was stripped from the necklace the day, the night she was shot, and was able to find it that Bruce had never really had time to find at all. And so it really goes through that. Yeah, he's written as a punk, but he he has a heart that when it comes through, it really comes through. And so stories like this, from the sounds of it, are the kind of stories I like from Damien. Um, so it's nice to see, especially in a holiday book, that they kind of do something similar. Yeah, and I also just have to say that the entire DC Rebirth uh, holiday special is said in the backdrop of like the DC characters just hanging out and Harley Quinn is there and it's like a it's one story like all, all the stories take place during the overarching story hmm. and 
it wasn't that like obviously it was before the AT&T purchase of Warner Brothers and also ADC but like Harley Quinn she's the viewpoint of the reader and like it only gets better from this first story so what what is the what is your story it starts out the same way in Clark having a hard time finding a present and so him also trying to get one last minute um, this is Adventures of Superman 520. Uh, the story is called Christmas Thieves or Night of a Hundred Thieves, depending on if you're looking at the cover or on the inside. Um, this is from Carl Kiesel and Stuart Immonen. And this is also Stuart and Jose Marzen's first issue as a as the uh, Adventures of Superman team. And so, like, I'm a sucker for Z-list supervillains. And this book showcases several of them. Kiesel loves doing holiday books. He just did a Kickstarter for a holiday book that I shipped into, and I think I should be getting it probably this upcoming week. It's always a lot of fun, and this one's very similar. Being able to do that and write all these loser villains into the story as well makes it even better. Um, So... This is all happening on Christmas Eve, and Superman is trying to hunt down a date with Debbie Doll that Lois is in love with. And this is, like, Tickle Me Elmo type of toy that's sold out everywhere. So, yeah, very much like your story, it's Superman trying to find this gift very last minute. The department store uh, called Jurgens Department Store, which I'm taking as a Uh. play on Dan Jurgens. (laughs) <laughs> and he, it, there's something funny he mentioned saying that's always open even during bad weather and power outage so I'm wondering <laughs> if that's a comment on Danger Guns' work ethic <laughs> he just is always working uh, it's funny you said that because Dan Jurgens is a part of or he's involved in the, story, in the next story I'm going to bring up <laughs> he's also in <laughs> the writer of one of the other stories I'm going to do too <laughs> so yeah the Superman's going to this department store to see if the doll is there, and there's an alarm that's going off inside of the store. Um, do you know the villain loophole? I sadly do not. Okay. I mean, there's no reason you should. <laughs> it's, you know, loophole is one of those comedic villains that are just thrown in just to see fail, like, pretty pathetically. Um, but I love him because of it. Um, so, loophole is what he can calls himself the master of molecular disruption. And he typically has, like, a female partner that helps him out with all this stuff. And so he's, you know, trying to steal from this bank, and he's monologuing out loud about how it's Thieves' Night and that there are going to be a 100 crooks all over Metropolis to do um, different types of, you know, theft in all these different stores. And so he's very confident that he's going to be able to be the one to escape since Superman is very clearly going to be elsewhere. Um, Unfortunately for him, he must have a slow watch or something because it's not quite midnight which is when everything is going to take place and so he's a little early so he's the first criminal to be caught um so he's trying to escape loophole's whole thing is that he has like a device that will let him walk through walls and whatnot and without fail i think there actually there is a story that i've read from him that this doesn't happen the first time this happened was like right after superman came back uh, from the dead he tries to walk through a wall, his machine gets blasted or something, and then he has, like, he's stuck in the wall. Like, his arms and head are on one side of the wall, and his legs are caught in the other side. And so the oh, exact man. same that, thing happens here. <laughs> that is a living nightmare. <laughs> so that is pretty much his whole shtick, is that no matter what he tries to do, he's going to end up failing immediately, 
and typically get caught inside of something. So he's like uh, Wile E. Coyote? Pretty much, yes. Like, he's clearly smart because he has this device that he came up with that allows him to go through walls and whatnot. But at the same time, he's too stupid to get away with anything. But yeah, I love him as a villain. He's so stupid. But it's, it's great. So, yeah, the entire issue is basically Superman just going around the city, stopping all these crooks. And some of the villains, I don't even know. There's one dude with, like, a power pitchfork. It's not Blue Devil. It's just some dude in a costume. I'm not familiar with him. There's, like, the Mountaineer and someone else who gets stopped in an alleyway. And it's just a whole bunch of villains you would probably never never know, except Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang stops in. And the Royal Flush Gang is in there as well. But, yeah, the whole issue is him just going around, stopping these villains on Christmas Eve. Or, I guess it's technically first thing Christmas Day. At the end, he does end up getting the doll for Lois. And, yeah. It's, it's just a fun issue of Superman going around, stopping all these no-name thieves on Christmas Eve. It's fun. And if that's something that sounds pretty good, I think you should read it. So what's your next story, Alan? Uh, mine is Superboy in for the dog who has everything. Oh, is this a crypto story? Yeah, it sure is. Ah, uh, uh, yes. A script by Eric Esquivel and layouts by Dan Jurgens and finishes by Norm Ratman. Since those, those two are always working together. Mm-hmm. So it starts off with uh, at the Smith family farm upstate. And John is asking his parents if they think Crypto knows he's not a real dog. <laughs> and Lois says, trust me, John, he's real. I've got the slobbered on Labadoons to prove it. <laughs> and then John says, I mean, like Kryptonian. And this is a reference I didn't get. But uh, there's he says, but I bet he didn't really know how different he was until I think the Eradicator. It's probably something that came after I stopped reading. It doesn't sound familiar. I'm pretty sure this is Superman and Lois uh, miniseries that, that Dan Jurgens worked on, mm. along with uh, Lee Weeks. And Lois mentions that to John that they had that run-in with Inner Gang, and mentions how John's powers are kicking in, and Clark took up the Superman mantle again, and it's been a pretty stressful year. And Clark goes, you know, we haven't gotten the Mud of Steel as a Christmas present yet. And John goes, we're going to the mall. Clark responds with, I've got an even better idea. And then they go to the fortress. <laughs> nice. And there's a, a great exchange, or a funny exchange where it says, John says, I thought you had said you had a better idea. And Superman responds with, the fortress is the greatest dep- depository of ancient alien artifacts in the known multiverse. And John resp- responds to that with, the mall smells like Cinnabons. <laughs> and Superman just all right, well, you've got me there. <laughs> and Clark says, Son, there's something I want to show you. No alien menaces this time, I promise. And you think it's going to be something menacing. They go from uh, just that very like, little panel to Superman yelling, The trophy room! <laughs> and it's basically, like he says, I don't want, want you to think of your heritage as a burden. As the last strong members of our race were often asked by our enemies to answer for Krypton's crimes. And it's revealed that in the fortress, there's not necessarily like trophy trophies, but pieces of crypt- like Kryptonian culture in the fortress. And he says to John, this is your- its history. This is your history. Cryptos too. And John responds with, 
Dad, you got more toys than here in the Senate's workshop. And they then go to where his suits are displayed. And they showcase the first Superman suit. Or not the first Superman suit. The iconic Superman suit. If this is New 52, I take just the trunks then? No, I'm t- uh, the classic Superman. Like the one, the, the suit you think of when you when you think of Superman. Oh, gotcha. Alongside it are the black suit, like the Return of Superman suit. And then one that I wasn't actually, I was not sure about, or I'm just, I still don't know what it is. Yeah, it's has like a it's it's white has a uh, face shield. It has a S with a with what looks it basically it looks. I'm not gonna against what this suit is. <laughs> yeah, that's what things I always like anytime to go to the fortress. I love seeing the different suits kind of laid out. It's just a nice little little callback to certain costumes. I always like it. And Superman says that the reason he he wore the suit was not to make other people happy. It was because it made him feel close to his Kryptonian ancestry. And but he but he also says, I may have the bulletproof skin of a Kryptonian, but I have the tongue of a Kansas corn farmer. <laughs> and then he he says, he basically has imposter syndrome, saying, for a long time, years after I earned the title of Superman, I still felt like a fraud. I didn't quite know how to be a Kryptonian. I didn't quite know how to be an Earthling. All I knew how to, how to be was myself. And he says, but you know what? That turned out to be more than enough. It then goes to John looking at the belt for the original uh, suit. And he says, I have the coolest idea in the world. And they go to Crypto uh, opening his gift. And it's basically this, the suit, or the, not the suit. It's the yeah, belt that they turn into a collar for, for Crypto. And yeah, it was... It's only it's only two pages, but it got me in the feels, so to speak. I feel like those are the kind of best holiday stories to do. It's anytime I can like pull it through the large strings. So, what is your number two? Okay, so for my second issue, um, I will also talk about a Dan Jurgen story. I might might as well at the moment. Um, this is Superman sixty four. Um, this is Metropolis Mailbag by Dan Jurgens and Jackson. I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong. Guys, juice. I don't know. G U I C E. Oh, guys. Guys. Okay. Yeah, Dan Jurgens and Jackson Guys. Do you think he's related to Butch Guys? I don't know. He might be. I... Oh God, now I'm curious. <laughs> I'll, 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 you talk. I'll check. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, Metropolis Mailbag is something I thought was a really cool idea. Um, it basically makes Superman Santa Claus in a way. So. Basically, what ends up happening is that throughout the year, Superman will receive letters from people um, requesting his help. And so this, it's a great way to showcase that Superman can't accomplish everything. Um, and certainly there are things that he just wouldn't want to accomplish anyways. You know, he, he basically starts out the issue comparing it to fighting villains and says that at least he knows what the outcome will be if he's fighting a villain. Reading these letters, he's not sure what he's going to be able to to accomplish and so yeah each year he's receiving hundreds of thousands of letters from people all around the world much like santa claus okay i uh i have some news regarding okay. that turns out they're actually the same person they're the same or they just he just changed <laughs> just changed his name no uh butch is his nickname oh huh. it's jackson butch guys oh jeez, i feel like an idiot not knowing that these people and switching their names 
come on now. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, did you ever hear the story? Of, I'm sorry if this is breaking off on a tangent, but <laughs> I have to share it because it's so. It's it's just mind blowing. There was once a like a. I'm not sure if it was a publisher or like like a story company that was a bunch of people, a bunch of names, and it turned out to be basically Will Eisner, like all running all under like as all these pseudonyms. Huh. The Will Eisner. That's cool. Yeah. So, so where was I though? Yeah, letters. Um, so yeah, basically these letters will just accumulate throughout the year, and then Superman visits this mailroom at you know, at Christmas time, and then just starts reading through them to see kind of what he can do for that night. Yeah, you know, the ones he can solve, he does that. Others are like, "Hey, Superman, I know where we can dig for some oil and discover, it, and then we both can become filthy rich." And he's like, no, no, he just, you know, I'll toss those away. But there are some that he will come across in this issue. Um, there's one where there is a woman who lost her sister during World War II um, while they were at, um, I think it's Auschwitz. I can never pronounce that word. Auschwitz? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, when they were kids, they got separated. And so she had not seen her sister since then. And I guess I'd come to her knowledge um, around that point that her sister was still alive. Um, she was living, I think, still in Germany, if I remember right. And I think she was maybe not expected to live much longer. And so the letter that she wrote Superman was to hopefully find a way for him to reunite the two sisters. And so he goes out of his way and does that. There's another one where a kid's father has a brain tumor and the kid is wanting Superman to come in and save him because Superman's capable of anything. And he realizes he can't do that. So he's he wants to visit the kid and try to be the for him just to you know, explain to him that he can't do this. Maybe give him some words of advice or just some support. By the time he gets there, the father already passes away. At that same time, we write a letter where someone needed a transplant um, of, I think it was a heart, maybe? They had been on hold for years, I guess. I have to avoid someone else failing the same way she's one who's in desperate need of it. And then there's the last little thing he does is that every year the Daily Planet will typically hold like a Christmas party and provide gifts for kids who are less afford. And in... I guess this time of the story, the Daily Planet was on strike. And so Superman has Professor Hamilton dress up as Santa Claus, get in the sleigh, and then Superman dresses up in all black and flies underneath the sled. Yeah, so what's your third story, Al? Uh, mine is The Night We Saved Christmas, a story by Heath uh, Corson and Gustavo Duarte, art by Gustavo Duarte. Colors by Marcelo Maiello. And letters by Carlos M. Mangual. And it begins with, I don't like the gold. See, I'm a chimp. The name's Bobo, but some folks call me Detective Chimp. Oh, nice Detective Chimp story. Yeah, and on the other hand, Bats seems to like, like it well. This bat does. And it's it's very comedic because they, they have the basically... Bruce looks like he's like he's wearing the rebirth costume. 
but he looks like he looks the way he do- did in uh, Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> and the like the like Batman Detective Chimp in the United States Christmas is basically has the Detective Chimp holding of like a gun with the smoke coming out of it, and basically an elf with what looks like a gunshot, and one of the uh, new guys at the uh, a guy named Noel, who's a Santa over at the Grove Shopping Mall, is having tr- trouble with one of his holiday hires. Uh, Jimmy Fingers McFinnigan stole his special uh, prize-winning dog, and I'll try to sell it on the black market. And he is basically saying, "You got to help me find him before Christmas." And the it's basically what Santa would look like, or what a Santa would look like if he had a bunch of tattoos and everything. <laughs> and Bobo is men- mentions that it's the holidays in LA, and everyone's unhappily ensconced with their families. And like uh, McFinnigan is as dirty as they come, and apparently he worked for the, cal- the calculator. So he goes to, to Wayne Manor. He then goes into the back cave. And I have to say, first I have to say, Gustavo Duarte's... He needs to be on more books. Like, yeah, more... Some art here. It looks really good. It looks very... Um, do, did you ever watch the DC Nation shorts that they would have on, like, back when uh, Young Justice was running? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. I'm sure I did when I was watching it, but I can't think of it any looks... right now. Like they they had stuff they had uh, Animal Man, uh, Jimmy Olsen. They had like little these little shorts. Uh, this looks like a DC Nation uh, short, like, <laughs> adapted into a comic or made into a comic. And Alfred does that list Bobo in, and he tells him that he, he fears that Bruce is avoiding uh, the holidays. And Bobo, who has who's holding a uh, a glass of scotch, says. So here I am, the day before Xmas Eve, giving you the opportunity to help me catch this guy. It's my holiday gift to you. Work for the workaholic. And Bruce is very... Wait, you want me to help you catch a guy who stole a dog from a shopping uh, wall Santa? You know I'm Batman, right? <laughs> he's like, I know. And Batman gets into like the case that he's working on. And they basically go to a bunch of places. Uh, Arkham, Ace Chemicals, uh, the Expert Lounge. And Batman is perched on a statue while Bobo is just drinking. Like, he's very upfront about his alcoholism. They go to a place called Romero's, which apparently is a like a watering hole for local toughs and holiday workers. <laughs> so I think it's says, just a whole bunch of like, like Santa Clauses and stuff around. Yeah, and it, like, <laughs> it, he says, like, the, his narration says, somebody here will have seen a guy dressed as an elf. And it's just, yeah, like, full of elves and Santas. And then the uh, bartender says, Ah, a monkey. Even a Mr. Monkey, what'll it be? <laughs> a bourbon. Double. And then he sees the perp saying, uh, talking to Penguin, saying, Come on, Mr. Penguin. Ahem. Sorry, Mr. Cowlbutt. He's a beaut. One of a kind. Let me get you another drink. And the elf and uh, Bobo make contact. A chase ensues. Uh, he gets a bottle of uh, alcohol thrown at him, which he ducks. <laughs> he gets he gets knives thrown at him, <laughs> and then he Batman shows up saying enough, 
And then this is one of the best lines of the story. Aw, jingle my bells is the bat. <laughs> and then he says, and then Psycho Chimp, you see free, him holding the gun up, saying freeze, free, uh, freeze fingers, last chance. Bang. And you see just, you just see the elf who looks like he's been shot. And Batman says, you shot Santa's elf? He's like, <laughs> no, he's not an elf, just a thief who works part-time in a mall. Bobo. Don't worry, his warning shot. I, I fired it into the air. <laughs> and explain the blood. And it's basically Campari. Uh, the moron's drunk, wearing sneakers in the Gotham snow. He slipped, knocked himself out, and spilled his drink. They do the right thing and leave him tied up, upside down, hanging from a gargoyle uh, statue. And then they go to the place where they where the dog is stored. And then you you see nothing. Then the next panel, Bobo says, "Here's the thing I love about solving mysteries." And you see a glowing red gl- glowing red um, nose. And then he continues. Sometimes you got the right answer to the wrong question. Then we have a equally as good funny uh, or an equal funny exchange between Batman and Detective Chimp saying that's Batman saying that's not a dog and Bobo saying you are a great detective and Bobo called Noel over and over but all I got was you're on fleek with Noel and me up with the message and the thing is they have uh, Rudolph hanging out of the Batmobile like his head out and Detective Chimp is saying, like, get him back inside. And it turns out he was chewing up the upholstery. And they get back to a manor. Alfred goes, oh my, is that a... Yeah. And here's Noel calling now. And he, he basically says, the dog is fine. And we're at Bruce Wayne's house. And he says, I'll be right there. What? And then, yep, it's Santa Claus. The story ends with them, basically. Alfred, Bruce, and Bobo drinking scotch. What can be better can be better than that? <laughs> it sounds like a good story. So, what is your next story? Okay, so the next story I'll talk about is JLA sixty, um, called "Twas the Fight Before Christmas" or "Merry Christmas, Justice League Now Die" um, by Mark uh, Wade and Cliff Rathburn. Yeah, I was about to say that that was one of those books I was gonna, I was thinking about doing or reading. <laughs> Before I just, I just, I just have to say, this DC universe, uh, DC Rebirth Holiday Special, just feels like like comfort food. I just want to okay. take this like I'm, I'm basically reading it on my through DC Universe on my iPad. I just want to hug it. Yeah, it's kind of how all those old DC ones were like for me when I was reading them as they were coming out every year, which is partly why I wanted to do an episode like this just to kind of talk about all the holiday stuff. I always feel like they, they would feel pretty good. So yeah, in JLA 60, it's... Well, first of all, it features one of my favorite characters, <laughs> which is Plastic Man, um, especially yeah. around this time, you know, this time in the books. Um, I think he really shined in JLA between what Grant did with him and then what Mark would end up doing with him also. But yeah, having a Christmas story told from, like, his perspective, even if it's a kind of made-up perspective <laughs> of a story... Um, is wonderful, especially since Mark Wade is already a fantastic writer and just makes that much better. Yeah, in the story, Plastic Man is visiting his friend Woozy, and Woozy's... Well, he's with Woozy, Woozy's sister, and then Woozy's nephew, Weezer. 
Snape scale a little much. <laughs> uh, so Plastic Man kind of shoes Weezer off to bed so he can you know, go to sleep so Santa can come. But Weezer's having doubts that Santa even exists, so Santa's not very cool, so kind of whatever. So Plastic Man comes up with this idea that he's going to tell a story of how Santa joined the Justice League. Um, but this also includes all the like extra flair that Plastic Man will have, you know, telling the story. Um, and as he's going through the story, he has to go back and remix some of it up as Weezer's like, eh, I don't, mm, that doesn't sound like something <laughs> that would happen. Um, so yeah, the story is basically Santa being captured by Neron after trying to discover why kids are being more naughty this year. And after he's captured, Neron informs the Justice League um, using a little gingerbread man that Santa's been captured. And so they decide to go and rescue Santa against a big battle of evil elves. And I don't really want to spoil the story because it's really fun and Plastic Man makes it, you know, fun and humorous. Um, but the ending is pitch perfect. Art is wonderful. It's... The way it's told feels like a storybook tale in a way. And it's just a perfect story to read this time of year. But yeah, that ending just had me cracking up. It's it's so good. And it's not something, you know, it, it feels like a really good Christmas story and almost like a, you know, the night before Christmas type of feel to it, but with mainline superheroes, which I feel like there's not a ton of stories that are like that. Or it feels like it was ripped from a old Christmas story. But JLA 60 does it very well. And it's a fantastic holiday story. So I want to mention it today. What's your next story here, Alan? Uh, mine is Dreaming of a White Christmas by Mariko Tamaki. Art by Matthias Bergara. Colors by Jay Nanjan. And letters by Josh Reed. And it's a, a Wonder Woman and John Constantine story. Oh, nice. And it takes place in uh, England. And he's... He's doing his shtick of brooding monologues, saying, Winter Solstice, here went a witch's holiday celebrated on the grounds of one of the most famous witch burning sites in all of jolly old England. And he's he's looking for someone named Brangwen, and he runs into Wonder Woman. <laughs> She's looking for Dionysus, and as Jean puts it, Dionysus is supposed to be in Olympus, but he can't trust to God to stay put. <laughs> Definitely not those gods. And he tries to get her to... Basically says, perhaps we can pull our resources. She responds with, why are you looking for her? He responds with, as you can imagine, it's quite a long story. And she says, or she turns to him and says, yes, I've heard of your, quote, long stories. <laughs> and John basically goes up to someone who's making a spiritual communication, and, they, and he hijacks it for a personal... What he says is, well, women love it when you hijack their spiritual communications for personal requests. <laughs> and then the, the woman just falls over, and they run into the witches of Lancaster, who are all deceased. And there's a great line where one says, I was not a witch, I was a midwife. I was falsely accused and executed. And John just goes, right, right, well, close enough. Huh? And... Wonder Woman asks the ghost, where are, where are they? And then there's just an entire line going to a church. 
just and they're all in units in like single file, saying there, 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 and they, they don't find Dionysus. They find Brangwen though, but they someone a mystery person is with her, with her, and they're running through trying to chase down the person, and it turns out to be Jack Frost. Huh. And the reason John is looking for Brangwen is he's having a nightmare that he has to have lifted, and he has to tell tell Brangwen what the nightmare is so it could be lifted. And then he says, forget it. And Brangwen says, you can run with it, or you can describe for me in detail your darkest fear manifest in this dream, jerk. He says, fine. Whispers in her ear what it is. She laughs. And Wonder Woman flies off with Jack Frost. John goes back to his back again. Sits down. And you and I'm dreaming of is playing is Arm Dream White Christmas is playing on the radio. And you see John looking like he's like struggling. And his nightmare is that he's on Santa's lap and Santa's saying, Okay, little boy, give Santa a smile. <laughs> and it's a it basically it's it's the censored expletive is what John's saying. <laughs> like he's on Santa's leg. And he's wearing a, a snow cap, but he's got he's still got cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Seeing John squirm and stuff like that, I always enjoy because he always comes off as kind of this <laughs> British man that nothing gets under his feathers, and then something so lighthearted like <laughs> Santa Claus being a nightmare-inducing thing is pretty great. So. What is your story? next story? Okay, so the next one I have is Detective Comics 826 called Sleigh Ride by Paul Dini and Don Kramer, which is probably up there as one of my favorite Joker stories of all time. You know, something that's common in comics is to do more long-form stories that typically take multiple issues to tell, but... Back in the you know, late 2000s, during Paul Dini's run on Detective Comics, he was very good at just doing a little one-off issues. For the most part, I think he did have a couple bled into two or three issues, if I remember right. But for the most part, it was just single-issue stories. And, you know, much like his animated series work, um, if it did not prove it, then his run on Detective Comics very much proved how great he was at telling stories in, well, in this case, in single issues, as opposed to single episodes. Um, so in Detective Comics 826, it's Robin, who at the time was Tim Drake, is in trouble and on the run from gun dealers who are trying to shoot him down as he's getting away on his motorcycle. And they do end up clipping him in the arm, causing him to crash. And so as he's like struggling for a way to escape before they're on him, he hears someone shouting from a car with an open door to quickly hop in. Uh, yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> and so, you know, he's not wanting to look a gift horse in the mouth, so he hops in, only to be meeted with a smiling joker who simply says, sup, <laughs> and then proceeds yeah. to gas him, uh, which joker. makes... That that panel where he just... It's just <laughs> joker in the car. It's one of the best <laughs> images of joker I've ever seen. So, yeah, I mean, the, the entire issue is basically just Joker driving around 
with Robin and he's, you know, running over people and uh, going through drive throughs <laughs> and stuff. Um, you know, Robin's tied up in the passenger seat with Christmas lights and trying to escape. And this issue is a great showcase of the dark sense of humor that the Joker has. And the entire issue is just like dark comedy at, at its finest. It's so well done. I have a feeling you're probably the same way I am, Alan. Anytime in a comic, you automatically connect it with Mark Hamill. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it still works in most issues, but when Paul Dini's writing him, it is as perfect and natural as it feels like it did back in the animated series. And this issue is absolutely no different. It fits so perfectly. And the entire story feels like it's ripped out of the Batman animated show. You know, and it's set during Christmas time. You know, there's the one thing that sets Robin off to finally actually speak something to the Joker is when he's about to run over Santa, who has a bunch of kids surrounding him. But yeah, it's it's a little dark for a holiday book, but it is still technically a holiday book. But it's a really good one that, in my opinion, is one of the best Joker stories told by someone who gets the Joker very well, especially if you love the animated series type of storytelling and that sort of Joker feel. Uh, Detective Comics 826 does such a fantastic job doing that. It is funny you mentioned that they bring up that story because or I bring up Paul Dini because the overarching story in the DC Universe or DC Rebirth Holiday Special is by Paul Dini. And it's pretty <laughs> and, since, and since Harley Harley Quinn is the main character, it's Oh, that is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, we didn't even like coordinate all this and then they still all seem to match up so well. Either between the content of the stories or the people <laughs> involved in it. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, what's your next well, this will be the last story, right? This is five? Yeah. Yeah, so what's your fifth story here? Mine is A Flash Christmas Carol, written by James Tynan IV. <laughs> Art by Robbie Rodriguez. Colors by Alejandro Sanchez. And letters by Carlos M. Mangal. Mangual. And it's Barry's at a foster home. A character, uh, a character named Malcolm is looking out the window. And his foster mom says that Mr. Allen is leaving. Aren't you going to say goodnight? And he's worried about... He's, Malcolm's worried that Santa won't be able to find him. Because like he used to, he's used to me with my mom at our old house. Now Miss Beth keeps saying the hell come, but how can I be sure? And Barry goes, hmm, I don't know. And Malcolm responds with, don't know what. If you're ready for the big secret. And this is something that I don't think that they touch they don't really go, like go in instruction a lot with, with Barry he says I was a foster kid just like you I remember being afraid that first Christmas with my foster family hmm. but you don't have to worry because in, in these days in Central City Santa has some very special helpers yeah, it never really comes to my mind that he technically would have been a foster kid after how everything went down <laughs> with his parents so he then cuts to Weather Wizard Captain Cold and Heat Wave. Oh, no. Mirror Master, Captain Cold and Heat Wave. At, at a, at a uh, bank. And they have a Weather Wizard as they're basically keeping the cops away. Hmm. And uh, Snart says, I put a few million on my list to the North Pole. Just 10 or 12. I'm not greedy. And the woman and the 
woman says, I've, I've, already, I've already pressed the alarm, Captain Cold. He responds with, no, no, that's disappointing to hear. Or it would be if the whole C CCPD fleet wasn't buried in four feet of freshly brewed packing snow. Or zero front. And yeah, and you see uh, Weather Wizard making it snow. And the way, it's, the way Robert Rodriguez drew this, certain things look, they look a little scary. Like they, they, look, they look like they shouldn't. Like the way Barry looks, the way Mirror Master looks, like the way his costume or his head headwear is. Hmm. And then, but like, there's an intimidating line where Mirror Master is saying, "I'm watching each and every one of them." After Captain Cold says, "Asks him how he's doing over there," and then the glass uh, pops in his face, and Flash shows up saying, "So what do you got me? Something good out?" And they respond with. Something that I felt, I think they, I think they did in the season two of the Flash show. Uh, Trickster has twelve presents all over the all over the city, or all over Central City that are wired to explode in two minutes. And Barry takes the um, motor out of the car, out of the truck, and then Heatwave and Kevin Cold shoot at Barry, but a truck is coming and it crashes, and turns out it was it. It's the truck was carrying a bunch of presents to children for children in foster care, and the guy, the driver who Barry saves, says, "Can you imagine how bad Christmas morning is going to be already?" And then there's a bit of three, like an ellipsis, and Barry says, "Yes, I can." It then flashes back to uh, Snart remembering what his childhood was like, and he has a change of heart and says, "Having a bad holiday, it can mess up a kid for a long." pretty long time and and he says he doesn't want that on his conscience and he takes them all the money that they they took throws it out in the snow saying there we didn't steal anything we'll lay low till new year's make sure these kids are taken care of then trickster try, says what the hell this is idiotic and mick grabs him and says shut up kid and as they're parting ways uh snart says have a merry one flesh trust I'll be making your life a hell in a few weeks. And every year since then, the rogues and Flash have a truce over the holidays, which explains why there's never any crimes that they commit over the holidays, so no kids have to suffer. And it cuts to Malcolm at about 11.42 p.m. He goes down to see a gift with his name on it, and Barry is there, like, basically doing filling the role of Santa, and does the don't-speak uh, <laughs> gesture with his finger, like placing it in front of his mouth. He then whooshes away, and Malcolm has a giant smile on his face. <laughs> it's everything I'd want from a Flash Christmas special. It also does a good retcon as to why there's never a peril on Christmas Eve story between the rogues and the Flash. Yeah, I always liked the relationship between the rogues and the Flash, and this kind of helps uh, drive that home a little bit. Yeah, even when uh, during... Um, I think it was Final Crisis, Rogue's Revenge, mm -hmm. with uh, Inertia, if you remember that character. Yeah, when they were going after Inertia for what it did. Yeah, we did a Bart. Yep. And it just, Inertia is uh, tied up saying, not consider us even, Flash. Mm. So uh, in our attempt to inadvertently connect everything between each other, <laughs> uh, my last story is from the DCU Holiday Bash number three, uh, called No Bart, There Is No Santa Claus. Oh, God. <laughs> By uh, Mark Wade, Devin Grayson, and Craig Rousseau. So I'm glad you brought up Bart because he's kind of the central character <laughs> of the uh, story here. I mean, there's no one better to write that character than Mark Wade. He created him, after all. 
<laughs> yeah, as soon as you mentioned the Flash title, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I have one too. Except this one, this one doesn't actually feature any villains of any sort. Mark, this is the second time Mark Wade's on my list here. You know, and this one is such a great story that kind of shows exactly what Bart Allen you know, slash Impulse used to be like. Because at this point, Bart is super excited about Santa Claus. And at this time, he was living with Max Mercury. And Max is like, aren't you a little... Like, you know Santa's not real, right, Bart? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, he's totally real. And Max kind of goes through and he's like, you know, how, how do you imagine he gets to all the houses in one night? And he's like, obviously, super speed. Um... <laughs> This, this have you ever seen the just the um, Christmas episode? I'm sure I have. It's probably just, it's been too long. So Superman takes and invites Marshman Hunter to his parents' house for Christmas dinner. That's right. Yeah. Like the infamous um, the infamous scene where Jonathan says we had to wrap all his presents and covered in lead <laughs> so he couldn't see, so see them. And then he he looks up and said he basically looks up and says. You mean the gifts that Santa brought? <laughs> Firmly establishing that this is who Superman is. Just a sweetheart. <laughs> Innocent. And Bart's kind of written the same way here, where, like, no matter what is kind of thrown his way by Max, like, Bart has an excuse as to why it still works. I mean, they're in a world with superheroes who have all these varying powers. Like, of course, a character like Santa still technically makes sense. You know, if anything, he fits perfectly in with all these people that exist in this world. Yeah, so Max ends up picking Bart to the North Pole to show him, like, hey, there is no workshop. There is no North Pole. Like, Santa's not real. But Bart's automatically assuming, like, oh, no, Santa's been kidnapped. (laughs) And so he's like, oh, no, all these kids are now not going to have presents. So he takes it upon himself to go around the world, basically, to deliver all these presents that he can. You know, and the end is basically he had taken all of the presents that was under his tree as well. And so, you know, he gets back home and Max is like, you know, what you did was really good, Bart. But now you don't have anything to open under the tree. And then they go in the next room and the tree is just presents littering the floor. And Bart's like, yeah. And, you know, he gets the present he wanted. And Max is just stuck there at the tree like, where the hell did these come from? <laughs> like completely incapable of, like, figuring out that. Santa is real, you know, and you can see Santa flying away in the background of the window. You know, it's just a sweet tale that, like, defines Impulse so well. You know, he's he's quick to act without thinking things through fully, but his heart is where it needs to be. You know, just another fun story with good humor behind it. And it's McQuaid, so you know it's going to be good. Um, Devin Grayson, too. I don't want to sound like it's just a mark wade story but you know it it's another sweet story that really resonates that kind of like holiday feel it's good wholesome content yeah and these are the kind of stories i like you know despite that detective comics issue like these are the kind of stories i really like them come christmas time it's just feel good feel good stories and so those are the 10 holiday stories we have uh, so, kind of before we close out, do you want to touch on that special issue you wanted to talk about? Well, it's not necessarily a special issue, more of a comic book series. Mm. And that is 
Klaus, which is created by Graham Morrison, written by Graham Morrison and with art by Dan Mora. Letters by Ed Dukeshire from uh, Boom Studios. Hmm. And it is basically Batman Year One for Santa Claus. <laughs> as And it's like reimagining him as a wild shaman of the winter in the 16th century. I can only imagine the places it goes with Morrison at the helm. Yeah, he and his pet white wolf, Lily, are on a mission to restore joy to the sacred holiday of Yuletide. Send the totalitarian town of Grimsvig, where joy is forbidden and Yuletide is outlawed. <laughs> and they basically make Santa a V for Vendetta slash Robin Hood-esque figure, fighting Lord Magnus and Krampus. <laughs> and it ran from uh, seven issues from 2015 to 2016. And there have been four one-shots from 2016 to last year. Basically, in the stop, and they they're modeled after the Doctor Who Christmas, Christmas specials, and yeah, this began as an idea during when when Graham Morrison was working on All Star Superman and and Batman as well, and yeah, his story is told in in the part four in like a flashback, saying that he was discovered or he was adopted by Grimsvig's guard commander Carl, named him Klaus, quote meaning victory of the people, and yeah, it's. It's a really solid miniseries, and the four uh, one-shots uh, were, uh, in 2016, Klaus and the Witch of Winter. Uh, the next one was Klaus and the Crisis in Xmasville. 2018 was Klaus and the Crying Snowman. <laughs> and then 20, last year was Klaus and the Life and Times of Joe Christmas. <laughs> It's one of those things where the first issue came out in December of 2015, and like a lot of people out there probably just think of Boom as uh, licensed work, such as... Yeah, um, I'd say I'm do Disney stuff, haven't they? Yeah. And most people associate Boom with Irredeemable and Incorruptible. Mm-hmm. They have every right to be associated with them, and they're great books. And they have... They should... Or, um, no, no, never mind. I was going to say something I may regret. <laughs> I say this on basically every podcast I'm on. I go, no, I'll, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but, yeah, they also, they've done series featuring the Muppets. Uh, they've done, uh, their Boom Kids imprint has uh, books featuring the Disney standard characters. Or the Disney Trinity, uh, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and Goofy. So, yeah, if you basically, if you're a teenager or young adult who wants to read a different take or different interpretation of the Santa Claus myth, check out Claus. I'm a sucker for Grant Morrison, so I will have to check that out. You will not regret one bit of it. It is a really good series. Alright, so yeah, before we get into the outro, um, with this being the holiday episode in the season of giving, I also want to take a moment just to thank everybody for listening. Our numbers aren't the biggest. I'm going to be <laughs> brutally honest, they're not... You know, a ton of people, at least through Buzzsprout, uh, but I know people listen on YouTube and through the VGU feed as well. So, but, you know, even the fact that there's just one person listening, that's not just me downloading the episodes. Um, I greatly appreciate it. Um, when I started, this, I wasn't sure if anyone would listen. So even having just a handful of people listening is it makes me feel great. And so anyone listening, thank you so much. 
and for no reason in particular, I want to single out the one loan download I see every episode from France. I don't know who you are, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> I'm pointing you out because I know that there's only one person. I'll, I'm going to absolutely butcher the city name. Oh, God. It looks like Clitchy. Clitchy France. So if that's you, thank you. You've done. You've downloaded at least each episode for the past like I don't know, six, seven episodes, and you're from France, and that's that's enough to have me single you out here. So thank you, merci, merci beaucoup. I would try more French, but I haven't taken. F <laughs> I haven't used French in like 15 years. <laughs> well, I went over to France just after high school. Uh, but yeah, seriously, thank you everyone for listening. It does mean a lot. It's a lot of work doing this podcast, a lot more than I anticipated. And so knowing that that work's not going to waste, it makes me feel really good. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And hopefully it's something you at least enjoy every other week when we have an episode out. So thank you. And so we'll just get into the outro here. Please rate and review. Leave five stars if we deserve it at the very least. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, don't forget to follow us on HyperTime on Twitter at HyperTimePod. Um, if you have questions or topic suggestions, feel free to leave it there or email us at HyperTime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. I'm tempted to drop that email address because apparently someone signed up for it and I've been getting a ton of spam messages for whoever Carlos is through that email. So yeah, if you're Carlos and you did that, I hate you. I hate you so much. Uh, we also have other content you can fill your ears with, especially if you like video games. Check us out at VGU.TV. Uh, the VGU Twitter is at VGU underscore TV. Uh, you can listen to our video game podcast with Players Club and Win, unless Alan decides to change it between now and four days from now <laughs> to Twin. So yeah, check out those podcasts. No, I, I realized that if I change the, change the name, I have to get new artwork done. <laughs> and yes, I'm not frivolous to change. Yeah, it's not worth the effort. Game. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter at jmilling99. They can follow me on Twitter at the Alamir. That's A L A N M U I R. Which brings us the. Alan's tweet of the bye week. Uh, this, I just I, th I put this up earlier. Working on part 10 of celebrating G4. And man, have I missed doing this. I expect to see it on VGU TV sometime next month. And I put a hint of an image of Patrick Clark from the G4 show Pulse, which I just gave it away. <laughs> My Celebrating G4 Part 10 is on Pulse. So, yes, check that out. Uh, you've been doing a ton of G4 stuff for the site. Yeah, I realized that like when back in 2014, 2015, when G4 went off the air, I could have done this. I should have. I should have done this. Done this then. Back when it was <laughs> back during the first run of VGU. Yeah, sometimes it takes a little while for the ideas to hit, but with them returning, it gives you a perfect opportunity to do it now. Granted, you started it before they were returning, but I started it. This thing has been in the pro works for nearly two years. <laughs> we'll just say you're the reason they they're coming back. I mean, by the time at the halfway point, Chris Gore started his documentary. About why G4 failed. Then three or four months later, 
Nope, we're back. We never stopped playing. <laughs> well, with that, let's go ahead and bid everyone adieu. Um, I hope you all have a wonderful holiday, um, no matter what you celebrate. Um, if you're not celebrating anything at all, just have a good week. And yeah, we will see you further down the hyper time. I hope you all take care. And we'll see you next week. Bye.